Hey, what's up? Today, we are talking to Josh Schroeder, one of my favorite people on this planet. We recorded Burn This World at his studio back in 2010 and just could not imagine a more hospitable situation in a recording studio. We had like blueberry muffins every day waiting at the studio for us. We stayed with his in-laws and they were buying us pie and, you know, wanting to make us dinner and stuff. They're just, it was just such a good experience. And Josh just has such an interesting perspective on not only music, but just life as a whole. Just such a good guy and thinks so creatively about all this stuff. So the conversation, any conversation you have with this dude is just, it's going to take you to another level. And real quick before we get into it, we really popped off recently on the podcast. We hit number eight on the Spotify charts, and that is because you guys are showing so much support you're leaving those five-star reviews you're giving follows like we're sitting on the podcast charts above podcasts that have like lil wayne as their guests like that's crazy for the metalcore world and it's just such a good feeling that we're getting the voices out there for people in the metal realm and so again if you haven't yet please leave a five-star review shoot a follow over you're really allowing this podcast to reach new people right now as we sit we're sitting at number eight on the Spotify music podcast. That's crazy. And really thank you for that support. I am Johnny McBee. You're listening to the Burn This World podcast. So I am here with my boy Josh Schroeder and uh what what we we went to your studio 12 years ago now. Yeah, that was, that was a minute ago, huh? Yeah, it was, but I mean, you're really killing it now. I mean, you've always been killing it. Always one of my favorite people to look at what you're doing and everything. Um, but how are you doing nowadays? Oh, um, doing really, really good. Really, really busy. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, doing the doing my thing. Got into pinball a couple of years ago, so that's been my new obsession and thankfully i'm busy because it's an expensive hobby yeah <laughs> so whenever we recorded with you you had uh the whole arc the um emulated arcade machine in your house and a bunch of other stuff too oh yeah yeah i still have that for sure I, that same machine oh, okay i think i built that in i think i built that in like 2005 like a lot like when sarah and i got like our first apartment yeah is when I built that thing, and it's still popular. People still love playing Street Fighter, Street Fighter on it, or yeah. um, what it was it Track and Field. I think that's like one of the most popular ones really? on it, just because it's a it's a stupid button mashing game, and everyone <laughs> just goes bonkers for it. The, the, the drummers always win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I mean, the because even from back then, you always had like this. Um, I don't want to say nerdy and some sort of like derogatory sense but a little bit nerdy of a uh, aspect to you like you like these video games and all that do you think that oh you have to be do you think you mixing is... nobody nobody who does this is not a nerd exactly that's what i was gonna say do you nobody, think that mixing nobody is like who does this isn't a nerd johnny <laughs> everybody that does this is some kind of dork on some level or another they if anyone denies it they are in denial right now you have to be a massive dork to do this kind of stuff but anyhow i cut you off what were you saying no i was gonna say like do you think it's like the most nerdy thing that you can do in in the music realm mixing um i'm trying to think maybe like sample creation i know it's hard, it's hard to say like it really gets into the nitty-gritty right like the more granular you get the more right. minutiae you start messing around with i suppose that would maybe up the nerd 
ante. So if you're making yeah samples, you're making plugins. Oh, you're making your own. Uh, what do you call it? Hardware yeah. compressors, optical. If you're wiring optical compressors, that's pretty nerdy. True. I mean, it's cool, but that's you know what I mean. Like you're starting to wander into like it's about music and making songs, but then you're way off on this left hand path of making the the gear that facilitates it, right? Right. So I think the more you get away, the more you're into the elements of gear, let's say making guitars or making making the things that make the music, right? Yeah. That's a real nerdy, not in a derogatory way. It's just it's the engineering side that needs to get done. But I mean, there's just yeah, so like, many minute details and so many little things to know about Mixmaster and all these frequency crap. Oh, like, sure. Yeah. I mean, how long did you did it take you to really get a grasp on I mean, you, you, I feel like you might say you don't have a grasp on it, but like, <laughs> how long did it take you to get to where you felt like you actually <laughs> understood what was happening? I don't know. I, it's one of those things where when I first started and just, I just did demos and stuff for friends and then eventually did my band's album. And that's, that's where things started to take off in terms of people I didn't know hitting me up about doing albums. And I thought it was good. I thought it was decent. I thought I had a decent grasp on it. It sounded better than a lot of crap that was out at the time, and at least in that particular genre. So I thought it was, yeah, it's fine. You know, it's good. You know, but I'm always looking to get better and, and looking to do different creative things because there's there's a finite ceiling of clinical separation in terms of a mix, right? Like, there's only so much you can do with stuff like that, right? And then you get into, then you get into the realm of creativity. And, and for me, that's where I get the most satisfaction out of my work is what can I do creatively in the mix? You know what I mean? That, that elevates the material I'm trying to mix. So it's going to be a very different approach for, let's say your band, you know, with the, with the Browning stuff, or let's say um, the Lorna Shore stuff, or if I'm doing King or if I'm doing Tala or Varials, those are bands that all have very different approaches in terms of the mixing. You could technically, you know, just mix them all the same, but it just kind of, you know what I mean? It's like, it's like shooting a, a movie and you're doing the same color correction, no matter if it's a romantic comedy, no matter if it's a thriller, no matter if it's a drama, you know what I mean? Like it just, you're framing your material in ways that doesn't really elevate the subject matter. So that's the thing that most interests me is creative mixing. So when I first started out, it was, it was learning the technical side of things and trying to get to a, what's the word I'm looking for? Just being technically proficient at it, understanding what the hell I'm doing. Um, and the more I worked with it, the more I realized that creative mixing really is what brings out. That's what separates the the decent stuff from the really, really good stuff. You don't think about the mix when you hear something that sounds really cool right. and really insane. It just, it just suits. It doesn't sound like off. You're not hearing a weird kick drum or weird snare, or weird bass tone that, that doesn't, it kind of betrays the vibe of the, of the song. So yeah, that's the stuff that I've really been focusing on the last, you know, 10 years or so. Yeah. And I mean, even whenever we were with you, um, you were talking about a band at the time that you recorded where you used, uh, like no VSTs, even all your reverbs and like delays and crap was all natural. Oh yeah. Like no one does that. Yeah. That was, um, that was a plea for purging. Uh, that was their last record. Yeah. That was, that was a lot of fun. It was something where, um, all of the guys in the band, well, I should say Blake for sure. And Aaron, the drummer for sure, were super into recording, especially Aaron. I think he went to school in Nashville for it. So we were just nerding out about a bunch of different things to do. And they had just done a record before that 
that was creatively kind of unsatisfying for them. It was the opposite of creative mixing. It was very much, this is what metalcore sounds like. These are the, these are, this is how it's done. And that's that kind of a thing. And so they wanted to do something very different. I'm like, yeah, I'm absolutely open to doing something different. Let's just mess around and not use, yeah, not use reverb. <laughs> we use some guitar pedals, yeah. but anything like vocals or drums, like none of that stuff was reverb. That was all just natural acoustic. Um, I ended up just, in, I never looked it up. I just kind of invented a technique. I'm sure somebody else has done it before and after, but uh, something where you take drum, your, your drum channel, let's say your snare channel, let's say your vocal channel, putting it, running it through a monitor in like my garage where my drum room was, <laughs> and then just recording the room, essentially kind of reamping uh, different takes to give them this natural acoustic vibe thing. That makes sense. It was fun. It was a lot of work. It was a lot of work. I don't know if anyone really noticed or cared, but we did. And really, that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do something like that again. Just I've learned a lot since then. I could probably do something really cool with that. It just takes a lot of time. That's the thing. It's just, you know, these days, if I'm working on a record and I'm booking like five or six weeks or something like that. And then on top of that, you're talking about all these extra things <laughs> it can get. Yeah. It, it's sometimes, you know, it can be challenging enough to finishing, you know, finish a record on time without all the extra, you know, bells and whistles like that. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it takes another level of creativity on your end too. And um, then also the band, like you said, with plea for purging, willing to take the risk and put the effort and time into it. Like, Oh, right. Yeah. Cause a, a lot of bands, yeah, they get exactly to the studio it, though, yeah. spot, they're, they're kind of like ready to just get this out and do the thing. And, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of people are willing to go that extra mile creatively, or maybe they just don't even think about it. Like, do you, do you view that sort of stuff more as the band's kind of responsibility to come up with or the producer's job to come up with those types of ideas? I guess it's a, a team effort. I, I like looking at records as a, as a team effort. Most of the bands, by that time I'm done working with them, they'll they'll jokingly refer to me as like the sixth member of the band or something for sure um and it's just yeah it's it's a team effort kind of thing i'm not i'm not looking to tell the tell a band what to do to how to do what what they're looking to do you know what i mean like it's it's preferably it's the band has a vision of something that they want to do so we'll have a lot of conversation about um what are we what are we looking to do with this record yeah you know i i just got off the phone with somebody you know that wants me to mix something i'm like so what's the vision for this next album and it just and he didn't really know what to say i'm just like I, I, we need something to work from we need we need some kind of idea some kind of theme something something mm-hmm. to latch on to some kind of rule to start from so that we can build the sound of this record around it yeah. whether it be a lyrical thing or maybe a sonic texture thing or or something you know what i mean like yeah. So once we have that, once we've talked about that, we'll talk about a lot of different records that we all like. I'll talk to the drummer about what are your favorite, who are your favorite drummers? What are your favorite drum tones on the albums? And we'll kind of put our heads, you know, so that way we've had a lot of conversation. So that way, by the time we get to doing drums and I'm starting to mic drums and tune drums, I already know what an idea of what they want For sure. because that's where it starts. I, I like doing mixing. Like I mix, I'm doing a bunch of mixing projects the last month or so. Um, and I love it, but I am frustrated because there's a lot of uh, mismatching in terms of 
the band wants this, but when they recorded it, they did that. You know, you know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you went to the grocery store and you picked up a bunch of generic ingredients, but you're looking to make, I don't know, fajitas or something. Yeah. Like, well, you didn't pick up the right spice. We can make this work yeah. with, you know, just pepper and salt, but I, you know, it'd be nice to have something a little more specific. Right. Palawise to start with So you know, something that, that, that works differently. So I usually, I definitely prefer, I do my best work for sure. No doubt about it. Um, working with bands from the ground up. Uh, so that way we can, like I said, we can start with, with all the pieces and they all make sense. So that when we, when we plug in the guitar, we've already had the conversation about what kind of guitar tones we're after. So we, so we make, now we can make an informed decision about how we want to sculpt the guitar tone. So as we're playing it, it makes sense to the end goal rather than like, Oh, we'll just record the eye and then we'll figure it out later. And you can to some degree, but it doesn't get as good a result. It doesn't, it's not as cohesive. You know what I mean? When you're playing, if later on, if we have a conversation, he's like, you know what? Having a really peeled back gain as opposed to over the top just really helps the sound of this album. Well, if you didn't play it with that in mind, it's not going to be the best takes they could have been. It'll, It'll be decent, but, It'll be better if you're playing with that low gain guitar rather than, you know what I mean? Exactly. Rather than playing with something super high gain yeah. and it's masking certain elements or something. It kind of masks your, uh, how hard you're playing the guitar, et cetera. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like, but, I mean, do it that specific example. If, if someone has a high gain guitar, you're not going to hear as much clarity. So whenever you actually turn that gain down, it could sound sloppy. Whereas if they recorded it with the low right, gain, and, then it would be perfect. Right, exactly. And and the opposite's also true. Like, you know, if you want a stupid high gain guitar in an album, make sure that that's what you're using mm-hmm. when you're recording it. Because then the little mistakes might not matter. And then other things that you thought, like, again, with a slightly lower gain guitar, all of a sudden you'll have other problems pop up. So, yeah, it's it's that kind of stuff. Those kinds of conversations that, like you said, inform in terms of the direction that we're going uh, sonically and stuff like that. Yeah, that makes. That I makes think awesome. that was yeah. And what with the, like this, the creative mixing in mind. I I like that you say that because, like, even with this last Browning record, I I did a hundred percent myself, and my concern was more so. Oh, right on. Uh, just to create like the sound that I was going to create right then, not necessarily be up to industry standards and whatnot. I just wanted to full on just make the sound that I was going to make. Uh, and I put a lot of effort into it. And I think it's important. You said it earlier that whenever something, it just works. Like you don't necessarily have to think about the mix. It just works. Like, just like with the old music that we all kind of grew up on, like besides the black album, everything yeah. kind of sounded like crap. And it's like, uh, I don't know. I just, <laughs> I, I just think that it, the songs are just so good that we all grew up with and are so nostalgic that the mix doesn't matter. And so like in the modern world, it can be the same thing. You just got to create really good music in my opinion. Um, yeah. Yeah. It really does start with that. Right. And that's, that's why I focused um, when I first started out, I was very much engineer focused. I was very much the first thing I went for is live drones because that's the hardest thing you can possibly oh, yeah. do. So, okay, I'm going to focus on that. So when we met, that was kind of what my focus was. Right. Like I was very much like in that zone because that's the hardest thing to pull off. And once I felt like I was able to do that and hang with the best records out there, I'm like, okay, vocals need to be thought of as well. And then after that, I I really started getting more into like composition producing in terms of arrangements and songs, because like you said, um, when you have a really good song 
the mix kind of matters less because it almost mixes itself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the dynamics of the song lend itself to sounding good. If that makes sense. Like, you know, I'll work with some bands and I'm trying to, you know, mix some stuff. That's, you know, some death core shit. And it's, it's obvious that it's, it hasn't been written for that end product. So if I'm working with a band in person, I'm like, okay, we need to keep these things in mind. We want things to sound overwhelming here, but there is a point where it becomes too much. Yeah. And you want to straddle that line. You want to straddle that line, you know, and push the envelope. But at the same time, you want to make sure that there's dynamics, that the song isn't just like a one, you know, just the fifth gear the entire time. Yeah. So, so yeah, working with that and, and working with arrangement and working with tempos and, and keys and, and working with the vocals, working with the lyrics and stuff like that, you know, really producing the music from the bottom to the top. Um, again, it just makes my job as a mixing engineer much easier as well, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you were you were a drummer initially, right? Like the band you were in, you played drums and everything, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I when I first started out, I played like bass and guitar and stuff, but then I just eventually moved to drums just because it's one of those. It's just kind of like the glue. Yeah, for sure. For, for a band, <laughs> it just and it just it just made made kind of sense because. If yeah, I, I was able to keep everybody in line from behind the band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just uh, live. It's just going to translate so much better. I mean, you know, you know, it's like you played. I'm sure you played in bands where the drummer just was kind of sloppy. And it's like, whoa, everyone's just yeah. No one can find their footing until the drummer finds their footing. Yeah, I'm very adamant about saying that. Like, besides the front man being a good front man, a drummer is the most important aspect of a band. Hundred percent. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it's interesting you say when you first started, you were so focused on live drums and you were a drummer and um, like, at, and that's still the only live drum record that we've done is the one we recorded with you. <laughs> and uh, it's just funny to, <laughs> you know, in hindsight, yeah. in hindsight, I don't know if it was really even like the right move for the sound that you're going for. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's like, it's cool. And the drum sounded great. I mean, by the time, it got done with a mix. I don't think it was really recognizable anymore, No, but it, that really wasn't the goal. You know what I mean? Like, I think I was at that point in time, very much focused on the engineering side of things. Yeah. And yeah. rather than seeing the, rather than seeing the overall vision right. more for what it was. Yeah. And it's funny because the, the snare drum that you recorded on that record from us is, I guess still getting passed around in the producer realm. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, because even Cody, like, a couple years ago, like three years ago, he was like, LOL, the Browning snares in this pack that he got. And it was the, the burn this world Browning snare. Of course. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And yeah, it's, I don't know. How do you, how do you feel about stuff like that? Like, is it, is that something that you really think about much like samples being used or it's probably pretty rare for your samples to be leaked or anything like that. That's the only one I did. I leaked that one on purpose because the mixing engineer was like, hey, can I use the snare on my other albums? I'm like, no, you can't. I'm just going to put it out there. I yeah. mean, because I'm like, dude's going to use it whether he asked me or exactly. not. So fuck it. I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. So that's one of those things. I usually, yeah, I don't, I don't really like it because to me, it takes away the individuality from a record that I work on. Right. Yeah. Like, um, I, you know, I had some people hit me up about the new Lorna Shores. Like, oh, you're going to make a sample of that? I'm like, fuck no. No, I'm not going to make a sample out of that. No, because that cheapens that album. Because now that that album is is less special because it's on some other shitty local bands EP. No, <laughs> right. no, I'm not going to sell. I'm not going to sell that that snare. And and also, it's again, it's it's Austin snare. It's not mine. 
Yeah. You know, it's something that we came up with together. We put our heads together in terms of tuning. We put our heads together in terms of, you know, what, what to use, you know, the heads and all this kind of stuff. So it's like, it's kind of a, a team effort at the end of the day. It's, it's his band and his snare. And if he decided he wanted to put out a sample pack and he wanted me to help him with that, that's a different story. But yeah, to go and piecemeal an album and mm-hmm. take the snare out and yeah, I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. And that our, our record, like I'm so frustrated about like that record. Um, like the songs were great and everything. And I'm just so oh, frustrated yeah. that like our label, we were with earache at the time and they were just so set in having some like, I like big name producer at the time that was doing the big bands that we sounded like. And like, uh-huh. it, and I, I don't even, I don't need to say too much on this about my experience of going there and trying to mix with him, but it was an absolute nightmare to where like one of the nights I literally had to <laughs> sleep outside of the studio, like not in it. Um, and outside. yeah, well, like out, out in the cold or, or yeah. what? I mean, it was in Florida, but yes, I was literally outside okay, of okay. the building and it was because just <laughs> really nasty situations and stuff that I, I don't need to get into about stuff, but the, um, going from your place, um, that was just so welcoming having like blueberry muffins, like ready to eat every morning <laughs> and, um, you know, hanging out with your in-laws and all that, like, it was just such a good experience to then be thrown into this, like, oh, no, you got to go do the mix with this, this really big guy that's doing all these great, you know, big bands that are like you. And then it just absolutely got trashed, like the, the quality. And the thing is, fans are like fine with it. Like fans don't know a difference, but like, sure. I, like I knew the difference. And it was just so annoying to go from oh, yeah. to go from someone like you that cares so much to this quote unquote big name dude that like did not give a freaking crap. And so like how like I feel like a lot of producers are just trying to get people in and out. Like they're just like you know. Oh yeah. And like we spent I don't what we were with you for like freaking three weeks or something. It was something like that. Yeah. And all we did was record and some mixing. And like, then I'm supposed to just fully mix the record in like five days with this other dude. Like they did not care at all. And that's such a bummer. Yeah. That's, it's something that I do. Um, if I care about the bands I work with, I just do a better job. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like if, and this, this goes, this, this is also a problem with really any job, right? If you, when I worked before I did any audio stuff, when I worked at, let's say Quiznos and I was putting together sandwiches, I'm like, I don't want to be here, but I have to, I, I have to, I need to make money. So I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna make the best of it. If I'm ready volunteering my time, eight hours a day, I might as well be good at it. I might as well be friendly with the people here. You know what I mean? You might as well just make the best of yeah. it. And it's just, it, it is, it is interesting and maybe disheartening how many people just don't really don't really put their best effort forward. I I think it comes from this weird sense of, of greed that we all have, but it, you have to understand that when you do care about something, you do care about the people that you work with, you will do a better job. They will be happier with it. Everybody wins Mm -hmm. when you have this weird, like short, I think it's like, I think Sarah was telling me about some podcasts she listened to about, I think it's like type one and type two pleasures. Type one is like the immediate, right? I'm hungry. I'm just going to get some McDonald's. And then later on you feel like shit and you regret doing it because 
you told yourself you wouldn't eat fast food again, right? <laughs> Type two is eating something healthy. So you go, you eat something, you eat, eat something healthy, you feel good about it. You wanted that damn McDouble, but you were strong and you had a salad instead. And later on, you don't regret it. You never, you never regret having a healthy meal, right? Later right. on, it's always that immediate type one pleasure that most people give into. And I think a lot of people think, you know, they go into their production, they go into their writing, and they go into a lot of different creative endeavors with that same type one pleasure, that immediacy. I'm just, I just want to get Johnny in here. I want to mix this thing, get paid, quickly move out so I can get the next band in so I can get more money. And it's like, well, you can do that. And from my experience, from observing people, that always ends up biting, it, biting them in the ass. It bites the bands in the ass. It bites themselves eventually as well. They burn themselves out. They, they, they stop putting out good work. So um, for me, it's just, it, it just makes sense. Just you know, invest in the people that you work with. Get to know them. Um, so that way, if I know you and I talk to you a bunch, I know what your favorite records are. I know what your favorite guitar tone is. I know what your favorite bass tone is. So that way, when it comes time to recording the bass, we've had that conversation and we can do that. And when it comes time to mixing, we know, oh, I know that they like this band. So I know that they like a bass heavy mix or they like, or they like a vocal heavy mix or something. So because I know you and I know your music, I care about, I care about the project because I want to see you succeed, right? Like if the Browning blows up, well, that's good for me because everyone's going to come hunting me down as being a part of the process. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it just it makes sense to care. If you're doing it, you might as well care about it. If you, if you don't care about it, do something else. That's just, you know, I guess yeah. my my <laughs> philosophy on it. Yeah, I mean, and I, I got that feeling, um, you know, from you immediately. And it, it really did just feel so good being there. And, um, like, I've... And that that's another reason that I have gone and I did this last record completely by myself was because the few times I've worked with other producers it's always just it's been the situation that I felt like they just really didn't care. And um, so I was just like, well, no one cares about this more than me. So I guess I'm going to just go for it. Right. <laughs> and yeah, uh, I mean, I mean, that's how I, I've always been too. like, and that's why I started recording myself because right. I'm like, well, number one, I can't really afford even a shitty studio, let right. alone a good one. <laughs> so I need to just, I just need to figure out how to do this myself. Yeah. And and, and, but the same thing happened with managers. I went, ended up going through, I don't know, about four or five different managers for a few years there. This is like, I think after we ended up working together, yeah. I did a few things and then, you know, you start getting more popular and then you have managers hit you up and then you're like, Oh, cool. Someone that can scare up some work for me or help me with my schedule. And they all sucked <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. And, and I was managed by some pretty decently sized people that have worked with some big labels and bands and stuff. But it just, again, it's a situation where, they're they just aren't going to be your best advocate you need to find somebody that's truly invested in what you're doing so yeah so these days sarah does all of my she does all of the taxes for the business she does she looks over any producer agreement contracts she keeps like a nice organized trello for my my schedule so essentially she is kind of like a manager for me and again you're not going to find anyone that's going to care more about your well-being than your partner so (laughs) yeah and that's awesome. I mean, it's it's nice to be able to, um, you know, do stuff like that together too, um, and just yeah, exactly. It, that's awesome. That's good to hear. Um, and she was super nice whenever we were there too. It's just overall, like I can't imagine a better studio recording situation, like really. So I I appreciate that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I'll that remember. means a lot. That means a lot. <laughs> I remember that like for the rest of my life because that was also like right at the beginning of my career. Like I was really 
you know, and it's just funny yeah, thinking yeah. back to that time, like everyone else I was dealing with was terrible, like in the industry. <laughs> and so <laughs> just having one person that was like, and it's nice to see that like, also like with all those terrible people I had to deal with back then, you are the most successful yeah. one now. So it's like, it just goes to show, like be a good person, well, hey. you know, like, and you know, good things happen. Yeah. It, it- like I said, it's, it's the type one, right? Like you get greedy. You're like, Ooh, I want to take on this project. I want to take on all the projects. And you don't say no. It's like, I say no to more projects than I, than I take on mm-hmm. just because it's one, I'm not going to do my best work. If I just pile it, pile it on and pile it on and pile it on. Um, but yeah, it's a situation again, where you're greedy about it. And it's, I've heard so many bad stories about, I mean, just working with Warner shore, for example, all the different people they've worked with. Yeah. Just, uh, yeah, definitely heard some horror stories about people <laughs> that just take on way too much. They yeah. get greedy, right? And it's, you can't say no to the money and you just pile it on, pile it on. And, and everybody, if you take on four projects, you should have taken one. You're giving a quarter of your effort to and a quarter of your attention to all these things. And on top of that, it's compounding because it's burning you out. I mean, you start not liking what you're doing. So you look for the shortcut to finish the record, which is going back to a bunch of presets. Yeah. And then before you know, you've done 20 records with the same exact tones, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And then you're out of gas and it's just like, I'm, I like music. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to hate it. I don't want to take on so many projects that I hate it. I want to keep the creative part of mixing, um, fun. Yeah. And is it, is it hard for you to, um, kind of get your ears like used to each one of these projects? Like for me, um, I've been using the same, like for my pre-production, I've been using the same pod farm tone for like 10 years. Right. And so whenever, yes, whenever, you're still using pod farm. Yes. That's awesome. And whenever I did this last record, I, I bought every single freaking digital guitar amp out there. And I ended up just at my pod uh-huh. farm tone. <laughs> and so like with you, you know, working on you all know this what? stuff, I still use it too. I still you? use it too. Look at I that. still use it too from time to time. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Absolutely. I'll go back and forth and I'll try some different things. I'm just like, yeah, but the pod farm though, it just, <laughs> it just, it just has a, for certain things for, for other things. No, I'll use like Kemper. I'll use like the Fortune stuff or some other thing, yeah. but there are some things that I do really like about the, the pod farm still. I think it's, it's a familiarity, right? Like when you turn it on, you know exactly what it's going to do, right? You know exactly how to get to that sound because you're used to that tool, right? It's like some kind of, um, jigsaw or something or table saw yeah there's better ones but you've worked with this one for 10 years you know exactly how it's gonna behave yep so there's something to be said about that definitely yeah and it just and if it's good enough for mashuga hey. you know it's good enough for me <laughs> there you go <laughs> is it hard for you though each project having to come up with tones that like that a band likes specifically but for you might sound like different like how how do you get yourself in in this new mindset for every single band that that you're working with like month to month um, yeah, I try again, it comes from a lot of the conversation talking oh, to true, people yeah. about what they like. And then like when they tell me, Oh, this record, I really like the sound of this record or, or something. And I'll, so I'll listen to it. And I'll, I'll kind of like, I'll bring some songs into my project just to kind of listen to it from time to time. And just yeah. like a B I'm like, Oh, okay. I see what this guitar is doing. That's kind of neat. Or, you know, I kind of like what the drums are doing on this record. So I'll keep that in mind. Um, yeah. So like I said, we'll talk about stuff and I'll listen to a few things and try to, trying to get that collage of ideas in my head when it comes to, yeah, getting tones. And it is more time consuming. I totally understand. 
why so many people, probably most producers, if we're honest, just go to their well of presets and just go from there because it's what they know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, to me, that's not fun. That's not, that's not a creative way to mix. That's utilitarian. That's not, that's not a creative process. That's essentially just, just trying to find the shortest path from point A to point B, which in terms of, of art, eh, not really my thing, not really, not really something that appeals to me. Right. So yeah, it takes, it takes longer. And, and because of it, it's one of those things, you know, and I have to take that into account for like budgets and stuff. And, you know, when I talk to a band and they're like, Oh, that's a little much. I'm like, I'm spending probably three times as long on this than, than this next person you're talking to. So yeah, <laughs> keep that in mind. Definitely. Yeah, and <laughs> It's, I mean, it's going to be something maybe a little more tailored to what you're doing. Um, and just completely but, unique. Like that's, that's what the whole goal is. I feel like I try, you yeah. know, and I'm still one set of ears. So I, I really try to rely on the people I work with yeah. as much as I can. You know, you know what I mean? Like, if if I if I mix a record and I'm just not really that happy with it, but the band is stoked on it, I'll try to make myself happy with it, but I try not to do it at the expense of them being happy. You know what I mean? True, yeah. So because they're the ones that have to tour it. You know what I mean? Like if if I mix a record for you, let's say, and you got to tour for the next two years, so what if I don't like it? I'm going to be working on another record in the next. I'll probably do like you know eight more <laughs> that same year. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. you know what I mean? It's like it's it's important to me to enjoy what I work on. And I do value the differences between them, but it, it's very important to me that the bands that I work with are very happy with it because if they're stoked on it, they're going to be stoked to what make the music video for it. They're going to be stoked to do the tour for it. Yeah. So it just gives them energy. You know what I mean? Like you, you know what it's like, and I'm sure you've met a lot of bands over the years touring where they're like, Oh, we just hate the way this record turned out. I have, and they're yeah. just out of gas. They're out of gas. They, they don't like playing the shows because it's just like, ah, oh, this just sounds so much better when we play it live and it didn't capture the, yeah, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it just feels like deflating. It, you know what I mean? And as someone who's been in the band, there's no way like I have to feel good about the record when, yeah. it, when it's coming out, when it's done so, because it's wind in your sails for everything. Yeah. Right. It's, it's for the video, for the merch, you know, for, for, for the photo shoots, everything. You know what I mean? If, if that record just, you're not happy with it, it's, it sucks. Well, and also like I, I, I think about it a lot too of like whenever I'm like 60 years old and done with all of this, like I want to go back and listen and okay. be like, that was sick, you know, rather than being like, Oh, that does sound like garbage. Yeah. Like, I think about it a lot of like, I like going back <laughs> and listening to my own music and being stoked about it. Uh, you know, whenever the stuff's good. And, um, oh yeah. And so I, I have some people that come to me, um, cause I don't, I don't mix bands often because like honestly like i'm i'm not like a professional at that but there are people that come to me because i have such a specific style um and like i've had people that that just want something very specific and like unique like that and so it's like they're literally just looking for anything that can make it different than what these other producers are giving them and i think that you do have that you have done some of the most unique uh mixes and creative stuff and you've also like i think that that goes to show too with um multiple of the bands that you've worked with like at the moment that they like had these these big big moments you've had some of the biggest people out there like king a10 when they popped off they were like on top of the world yeah and the same with lorna shore they are on top of the world and i think that you're creating something very unique for these people um like that 
Oh, thank you. That's a, that's a, that's a big compliment, but uh, yeah, to me, it's, you know, and it's by no coincidence that these are very good bands. Yeah, right? for sure. So, so the thing, the thing that I'm really good at and it's is listening to the bands. I, I, I tell a lot of people, producers listen to their bands, but they don't listen to their bands a lot of times. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you have to listen to the people in the band and that's extremely important. Um, I wouldn't be anywhere if I hadn't, listen to all these bands if i had listened to you if i had listened to a plea for purging if i had listened to mm-hmm. king you know what i mean it, it has to reflect you know what they're doing if they're especially if they're doing something really special like when king came out yeah it's one of the it's just one of those things where it was so insanely unique that pe- a lot of people honestly didn't you know how to process it yeah. <laughs> they're so used to a metal that has you know a certain box of lyrical content that you can access yeah. and then king comes along is like fuck all that <laughs> we're going to do something totally different yeah talk about an entirely different thing than really has been really focused on in, in metal at all yeah. so for me it was yeah it was very important to make sure that all that's that sounded authentic that yeah. the right components were at the forefront and that the other right components were elevating those things properly yeah you know as well his voice so, was yeah. his voice set a trend too. Like whenever they popped off, like so many people started oh, yeah. doing that raspy talking, like you know, very aggressive. Like he was a trendsetter in that style of voice at that time. Like that was huge. You know, I I was talking to this is a few years back. I was talking to uh, Monty Connor. And he's with like Nuclear Blast now, but he was like, mm. I know King because King wanted to work with him when he was back at Roadrunner. And it was just a situation where by the time they're looking to sign, he was with nuclear blast and they're like, we love you, Mahani, but this, I, I just, you know, the label just wasn't right for what their sound yeah. was. But yeah. I remember talking to Monty a few years back and he's like, you know, I knew King was unique, but what really struck me was when I heard Parkway drive doing King shit Yep, <laughs> that I was like, Oh, this is obviously a King ripoff yep. track. And he's like, yeah. Oh, they are that unique that you can hear another band do their sound and say, you're just trying to be this band. You know what I mean? That to me is the mark of a good band. If you hear like, let's say straight from the path, it's like, Oh, they're trying to be rage against the machine. Well, rage against the machine is iconic, right? Like they right. have such an iconic sound. If another band tries to cop it, you can, you can call them out on it immediately. Right. Right. It's hard to hide that influence. And I think King is one of those bands too, where like, it's hard to hide that influence. <laughs> yeah. It's so specific. Um, and yeah, David is just, you know, he's his own, he is his own character. You know what I mean? There's nobody else like this dude. Yeah. Yeah. I just saw him the other day We're we're wrapping up, uh, some, uh, new material and, uh, yeah, dude, I love that dude. He is just the most unique person I know. Yeah. You know, well, crazy we- upbringing, crazy life. It's just, there's always some new story with this guy <laughs> and he's always on some different shit. Yeah, yeah. I love that guy. Yeah. And I mean, it's just like back from all the stuff that we like we might have grown up on uh i feel like the vocalists always sounded like if if chester bennington is singing you know for a fact it's freaking him if uh, the singer mudvang is singing oh, if yeah. fred durst is singing if Corey taylor you know for immediately that is, is those people uh there's there's no other option or you know freaking serge tankian like no one can ever sound like him you know and so it's like yeah. so important to have such a to have such a unique thing and that's really 
the bands that really, really go to another level, there's no question who it, who that voice is, you know? And I think that's one of the most important things is right. to try to find that thing in you that makes you completely unique. Well, that's identity, right? Like that's, that's one of the most important things you can have as, as a band is identity. Um, what, what is it about you that makes you unique? And with the Browning, that was to me obvious right away. It's like, Oh, all this synth stuff. Like, this is crazy. I remember, I remember gassing you. I was like, dude, this, uh, this stuff's going to blow up. This is so cool. Like, this is just, no one's like done this kind of style of like EDM with like metal before. It's yeah. cool. Like, I just thought it was so freaking awesome. Well, I appreciate And that. it's one of, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I feel like it's one of those things like, there are certain fingers that I could point to marketing the sound better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's one of those things it's, and, and, and it's, it's just like with, with the Lorna Shore thing too, or with King, King was around a long time and Lorna Shore, Shore was around a really long time yep. before they popped off too. So, so timing has a lot to do with it, but yeah. And but I, anyhow, no identity identity having that identity so that when the spotlight's on you and and everyone's just like wow that's just different like there's nothing else like that when i when i reach into my bag of uh of spotify tracks nobody else sounds like this band so if i want that fix i have to go to them exactly i say that so much to people like you know why would someone listen to you and they could go listen to Whitechapel, like the bigger band doing what you're doing like you have to because people yeah. gravitate towards the popular stuff. And so it's like, if you sound just like the popular band, they're going to go listen to the popular version. You know, that's just how it is. It's natural. Yeah. Yeah. I don't want the Kirkland brand. Browning. <laughs> I want the real deal. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? yeah. And like you, you know, having such a, like you said, with uh, having a personality and having that uh, individual like aspect to it um, in the modern world, like, what how, like how can bands even find that with having so much stuff out there and with having so much music out on the internet do you think it's do you think there's really anything that can be done that's like unique no uh yeah i think um where where does the individuality excuse me where does the individuality come from you know, I mean, you talked about Fred Durst, you talked about yeah. Chad from Monday, and you talked about, I mean, you can talk about Corey Taylor or Jonathan Davis, you can talk about Zach DeLaRocca, all these different, um, you know, people that fronted bands that were instantly recognizable. Yeah. Um, it comes from a, a true sense of self, right? You have to be very confident and very self-defined in order to be somebody that really comes through as unique. So how do you cultivate a unique personality if you spend all day wondering what somebody else does in social media, right? Right. What do you do? How do you, you, you I think, I think it's a, I think it's a, a, a bit of a problem of people having a difficult time identifying themselves but, you know, from within. We identify ourselves so much. We always have from external means. And, and let's say, let's say you go back to like the nineties or something, you're talking like MTV, um, and magazines and stuff. So you're, you're, you are still keeping up with trends, but you're not so wrapped up in it as people are today. So you're constantly on it. You're constantly seeing what other people are doing. You're not really defining yourself from within. You're defining yourself by what you see out there. So maybe there's a bit of an imbalance that I think will 
I think there's definitely a bit of a pushback out there to people saying, oh, maybe I'm spending a little too much time on this. I need to spend a little bit more quality time with myself. Look, look, look within and see what I like and see what I'm interested in rather than following whatever, what everybody else is doing. Yeah. So if you want to be, yeah, if you want to have that, uh, you kind of have to be a Petri dish of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to just the collection, just, you know, parroting and copying what, what's going out, you know, just following trends and that kind of a thing. You have to, yeah, you have to cultivate a sense of personality from within and and be true to yourself that way and that's that's how you come up with that's how these people i think uh really got out there and defined you know some interesting music yeah because they weren't they weren't so concerned about you know do you think fred durst cares what you know maynard was doing in tool not so much <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. like he's just doing his own thing you know and, and to be fair not really aware of it either like that's how you got a band like corn because they're just out in california you know what i mean a little petri dish of their own little local culture mm-hmm. that it was just you know what i mean blissfully unaware of what other trends are really not concerned of it you know what i mean if if you're so concerned with the entire movement of the entire social and music scene then you might start to question your own motive you might start to question yourself and your and your uh resolve in terms of what you believe in in, in terms of a musician right right if you're constantly bombarded with trying to keep up with what else is going on if you're just jamming locally with with people um, I don't know. I think you find yourself a little bit more truly that way. Yeah, I I'd have to mm-hmm. agree. I think that with the the having like having the internet, having the access to the entire planet worth of information, like I feel like can be a bit overbearing for people. And then also, um, like you said, yeah, you're constantly comparing yourself to other people. So you're like, well. I want my band to be successful and this is what the successful band is doing. So that's what I'm going to do rather than like you said, just being in that local spot and just doing what y'all are just doing. Like I just had um, Andrew from impending doom on and he was in like that Riverside, California era, right when death core was popping off suicide silences, blood earns black, all shall perish. Like all those bands all come like a 20 mile radius. And it's like, that's crazy and that just shows like back then they were just doing what all their like local friends were doing and they all kind of like you know all thrived in this in this style from that area specifically whereas like um maybe if it was like the real age of the internet like the modern world they might have been too distracted to like you know thrive in that environment all right yeah yeah you're more concerned about what what's working and what isn't working you're not you're exposed to it constantly right yeah. if you're a band and you're on instagram and you're on tiktok and you're on twitter and facebook you're constantly being bombarded with people that are doing well or presenting themselves as doing well i think it's more the latter than yes. the former yeah. <laughs> but you know what i mean which tricks you into, into thinking and second guessing different things that you're into it's like oh maybe we should do this instead or maybe oh we should give me an idea for this Again, it's definitely not all bad for sure. I don't want to come across that way, but I do feel like it is, and it can be a massive distraction and a massive undermining of uh, who you are. Yeah, and and defining yourself that way. Definitely. Yeah, like I said, it's yeah, it's 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 one of those things. It's it's interesting to see where things will be in another ten years because when we first were recording, I mean, that was like. MySpace days, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you remember we did a live stream in your studio with some jank website, and then like someone ordered a pizza to your studio from that like live streaming? Oh website. yeah, yeah. I don't even remember the name yeah. of the website. 
But yeah, like the <laughs> the the internet, like actually for me personally, um, like it's so weird because I can sit here and tell myself like, you know, I don't I don't really care. I'm just gonna put stuff up, but like I could get in my head on Instagram sometimes. Um, I actually made it to where like you there's a setting on Instagram where you don't see view counts, you don't see like numbers, you don't see any numbers of your own stuff uh, or anyone else's stuff. Good. And I turned that off. Like cuz it was it was bug, bugging me at times sometimes like I would post something that I thought was really important yeah. on the Browning page and it wouldn't get as much interaction and it like it'd be like like mm-hmm. it started kind of triggering me a little bit. And so I made it to where I can see no view counts, I can see no likes, I can see nothing. And it's like I wish I didn't have to do that, but somehow it does trigger me even though I know it, you know? And it's just like living in this uh, interesting I, you know you could do that yeah i it was one of the best things i've done like really it's just like i stopped caring about how many likes my photo gets or if people care about what i you know the reel i posted or whatever it just like i it really was nice and, yeah I mean, it's interesting like the way you're describing it it really makes me think more about the gamification of socializing which is what social media is right yeah. it's like you're a gamer you understand this it's like you get the likes you get the shares it's like getting a really good combo or something, right? It's like yeah. there's that certain feeling where you feel like you've really succeeded and you combine that with like a social acceptance and stuff. Yeah, it's it's very, like you said, it can really skew how you feel about um, your own art, your own, just who you are, right? Like when you post a, yep. a picture of what you're up to or, or yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and because also I was like, um, like for me in my current, like world like my daughter and my wife is pretty much all my everything and so it's like i just want to post pictures of them but then people don't care because it's not a a video of me doing vocals or something but i don't want to care about that i just want to show my stuff you know and so i don't want to care about the likes and all that so it it is nice that instagram has that option to turn turn seeing stuff like that off i recommend it for anybody i'm gonna have to do that yeah i'm gonna have to do that i because it always, it always makes me sad when I post pinball and people aren't liking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, no, you do, no, uh, those things, you do a, um, an internet or electronics like, um, fast every year, don't you? Where you like, don't do it for a month or something. Yeah, like that? I've been, I've been doing that. I've been doing that twice a year now. Once, once around Christmas vacation. Cause I love Christmas. Yeah. I just, dude, I just, I love Christmas. It's a great time of year. Yeah. I just, I, I'm not really a huge family person, so there's none of that. Like I know it can be like triggering for some people. Y'all, okay, I got to hear my uncle's politics or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't have to worry about that too much. But my yeah. family's pretty small, and um, no, it's essentially just Sarah and I for mo- for most of it. And I love how the industry shuts down. I know a lot of people that work in it are frustrated by it, especially bands, because oh great, <laughs> if we release an album in December, it's essentially doomed. Like it doesn't yeah. even exist, right? Because the industry shuts down what, early December until essentially mid or late January. Right. And so I usually take around a month off around that time. I love it. So that's another one of the reasons I love Christmas. And it was like, as a kid, it's just like one of the few times a year, you know, cause when, when I grew up, we didn't have like a you know a ton of money. So that was the few times that was like the one big time a year I might get, you know, a little present or something. Right. So I just have a lot of good associations with it. Um, uh, what were we talking about? We were talking taking about the breaks oh, the, the, socials. taking the break. Yeah. Sorry. I got, I got, I got I'm all like starry eyed <laughs> about Christmas. Um, so yeah, so I take a break over Christmas. I don't engage. I don't post anything. I just I essentially post them away so that just in case some people need to get a hold of me, 
that they know what's going on. So I'm just, I'm just AFK essentially. Yeah. And then I've been doing that. And then I've been doing that on our anniversary, which is the 30th of June. So then I'll take at least a couple of weeks there. And yeah. I'm thinking about doing it another two more times throughout the year. So maybe like do it like quarterly where you just, you're off social media for like a week or two, four times a year, or maybe more depending on what it is. It just, it feels good to just not, I don't know. It just feels like there's less clutter. This is something I've been working on lately is just decluttering my life. As you get older, um, you accumulate more things, both physical, but also mental. Yeah. Right. Like there's more now, you know, like I said, last time we saw each other was really like 10 years ago. So you have way more unfinished riffs, way more unfinished songs now than you did back then. Right. Yeah. So it's clutter. So it's clutter. So it's good to have those things in your back pocket for a rainy day, but it's, it's also clutter. So there's a lot of things I've just been going through in my life. Like, okay, I just need to donate this, get rid of that. And it's, again, it's one of those things I think growing up, not having a ton, there's an instinct to hold on to everything. Like I saw, I think someone shared like a hard times article or something where it's like man who kept two spare two by four in garage since 2005 finally found a use for it <laughs> <laughs> it's still it's that kind of stuff so I, but it's clutter so i try to i've been trying to go through and declutter a lot of things like yeah. i said and it's 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 both physical and mental because there's all these things that you hold on to and social media can be very much a a bad contributor to clutter in terms of oh i, I gotta follow this person and that person now i'm obligated to follow this person i'm just like right I feel obligated too because there's some people that a lot of I want to follow everybody that I work with, but at some point it becomes clutter, yep. and I have to be a, a little bit selective about this stuff just because it's just a lot of stuff. It's nothing personal. It's just I, I, I need to. I'm, I'm the type of person that functions a lot better with a smaller group of close friends. Yeah, I'm a very small group of close friends. Very very small. I'd rather have the quality than the quantity. For that's sure. just that's just the way the way I operate with that kind of stuff. So. Um, yeah, the, the break from social media for sure helps kind of untangle that cluttery mess in my brain. You know what I mean? All the social obligations. It's nice. It's nice. I wonder if I, it's hard to say, right? Cause there's a lot of good about it. There's, there's a lot of stuff that I do like about it. It is really interesting to see what's going on, but yeah. at the same time, it can, it can just be a noise, a lot of noise. Yeah. It's for me, my I, I had to stop getting on Twitter in general. It was just to, like you said, clutter. Like, Twitter feels like nothing but that. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, like some some Twitters for some people, but it really is just like a, like a, it takes all my brain capacity out whenever I get on there. And so I, I completely stopped that because I'm, I'm the same way. It's, <laughs> it's not only like, uh, like for me, if with all the stuff going on in my brain, riffs, drums, like I just feel like I constantly have noise in my head. Like if my environment is also like yeah. messy, like I need to be in a really clean environment, like house wise, my office space, all that. Yep. And yep. then also the, like with the internet too, like I stopped playing competitive video games. Cause that was like making me, you know, uh-huh. taking up my brain capacity and my, it was making me frustrated when I'm like, why should I be frustrated at this again? Like you said, cluttering up your brain with certain things. And I, I think doing a, yeah. a cleanse would be nice. We did a, a trip to um, Pagosa Springs, Colorado, like down in the valley of this, uh-huh. this mountain. And there was no service at all. Luckily I was there with my wife, so I didn't really need service. Um, and right. uh, 
for two weeks, couldn't do anything, but we were just down in the mountains. I'm like, yeah, this is the goal. Like, really, <laughs> just being down, being yeah. around the people that you really love. And um, if I could, my my dream is just to be somewhere like that and just be able to like send music out and then somehow get money back. Like, that's the goal. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that too. I'm like, I wish I could be like a painter of some sort. I mean, I could, yeah. but like, where do you start and how do you get to the point of being able to be self-sufficient? Right. Like, how do I get, how do I, how do I just disappear socially <laughs> and then like send out paintings and then people can pay me to just for the painting. And I, I don't want to hear anyone's opinion. I can just send it out <laughs> yep. and I get money and then everyone leaves me alone. Exactly. Um, th- that is a dream to some extent. I do really enjoy. And, and like I said, I do my best work when I'm mixing with other people. Um, so there's that collaboration that I, that I enjoy. I suppose it's like akin to like, people always talk about muses and stuff in, yeah. in art. You, you need to have a partner to kind of play off of, to kind of gas you up and, and get you excited about material. Right. If I'm just by myself and just like, well, I don't really have, I don't really care so much, right. but the band cares and I can feed off of that energy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that that's kind of what drives me. But so like for yeah. someone like what you do, like what is the end goal of a, uh, someone like you, a studio slash mix engineer slash all this stuff. Like, what is the end goal? Um, do it until I don't enjoy it anymore, and then do something else. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. That's that's about as far as I thought into it. Yeah, yeah, because like um, it's like as a creative, it's like mixing and everything is such an interesting thought. Because like, um, and I know you are capable of everything musically. Um. And like you could put out music yourself if you wanted to, um, but I didn't know if there's like a yeah. I mean, I have a I have a record that's been done for like four or five years now. Where is it? And um, it's I okay. So I need to tell you about this thing because <laughs> yeah, I gave myself a lot of rules. I I listened to a podcast with this like prolific pinball designer. This dude's awesome. But he one of the things that really stuck with me is something that he just articulated in a way that I was like, yeah, that's, that's it though. He's, he was talking about how people need rules to be their most creative. If you just say, Oh, here's, we have all the VSTs. We have all the, we have all the genre. We can do whatever we want in the studio. It's like, no, no, you're not going to come up with something good. You need rules. You need a certain boundary in order to operate inside. So you can really flex properly. And he's, he's like a, he kind of oversees this guy on this podcast. He oversees a lot of teams on these uh, pinball designer, these pinball designers. And there's some companies that are really going nuts, right? With a bunch of different gadgets and toys and lights and et cetera. And he's like, in my experience, when you give people the ability to do everything, they will do everything and, and the actual game will suffer because of it. So he's like, with my teams, I like to give them a budget in terms of what they can build, what they can't build. And he's right. I mean, some of the best games that have come out in the last, you know, five years have been under him. So, yeah, and I feel the same way. So to circle this back around to my solo project, I was like, you know, this was, I mean, this is probably five years ago when I had the idea to do this. But it, it, it's a similar philosophy in terms of I need to give myself a lot of rules, lots of them. So number one is everything is recorded to tape. There's no VST involved. It goes directly to tape. And, okay, so there's that. Um. I can't record anything, any sound that I can't make myself. 
through some kind of instrument that emits a sound acoustically, not like a keyboard that does that has like a sampled sound, but like a drum kit. Okay. Acoustic guitar. Yep. Um, electric guitar through an amplifier. That's fine. You know, recording, that's fine. A bass line in a, a acoustic piano. So I've been collecting a bunch of like, um, just eclectic instruments that make sounds for this project. I was just visiting a ton of uh, flea markets and, and secondhand shops and stuff, just trying to find weird instruments that make analog sounds. So I did, I've, I collected a bunch of instruments. I just like put together like 10 songs in like a week. I was just like flying like, Oh yeah, no, no tempos. You can't, you can't use a click track. If I make a click track, I have to make it myself. It can't be done to a grid or something. And then all the audio gets bounced into, it does get bounced into a DAW. So, cause I only have like a two channel, um, reel to reel machine. So I'm like, okay, I need to stack these, but I can't use like crazy VSTs and posts. I can do like a simple static EQ or something, but I can't like fundamentally change what the tape recording is. I can stack them, but make loops out of them, but I can't do that. So I had all these rules <laughs> set up for this kind of thing. I put, I put together now it's like 30 minutes. It's kind of like chill down tempo. I played it for a few people. They always say, Oh, this sounds, this sounds like something being like a Tarantino film or something like kind of soundtracky yeah. kind of stuff. Um, and then my rule was, okay, so when I release it, then I have to also adhere to the same rules for the visual rollout. Right. So I can't do like a digital thing. I have to like shoot on film. So that was one of the reasons I was messing around with film for that one King video that I shot the heartbeats video. Yeah. Cause I was showing, I was showing David some of my test footage for some of this. Cause I was trying to learn how to shoot on eight millimeter and what's involved with that, how to shoot with it, how to get it developed, how to get it scanned. And I mean, it's a whole thing and the type of film you got to buy. It's just a whole ordeal. And he just fell in love with the test footage. And he's like, you want to, you want to do a video for the band with this? I'm sure it's more practice for me. It'll be fun. Um, so anyhow, that's kind of where I, I did that. And I just haven't quite figured out what the visual is for this release. So I just don't have a good idea for it. So I can't, I can't release it until I have a good visual idea and yeah. other things come along, right? You get distracted and you lose steam for this project, but it's been sitting there done. Uh, it sounds cool. Like I said, it's all track to tape. So it has a really interesting textural quality to it. And, and again, it's not so much about recording to tape as is the rules of it, right? Like when you're recording to tape, you have so many less options. You have to, you just have to perform it and you have to be okay with it. You can't fix it in post. It's just, it's gotta be what it is. Like, yeah, I couldn't use any compressors. If I was using a compressor, it had to be like a hardware piece. So like a distressor that I got or, or an optical compressor that I got, I can't use a BST. It can't be, you know, it has to be done printed on the way in. Yeah. So like I said, it's, and, and once I gave myself those rules, it came together in like a week and it was done. That's awesome. <laughs> so I've been sitting on it for like, <laughs> like five years done in a week. And now, now I'm just stalled because I can't find this visual inspiration to do a video to roll the whole thing out. Yeah, but I mean, that's if like, something comes along and somebody gives me an idea, then then I'll run with it and release it. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's I think that having really ambitious um, long term projects like that are important, though. Like, if it was just you know you finish it in a week and then it was released a week later, five years later, right now, you'd probably not be thinking about it, you know? And it's so like having this, this really important vision and especially like, I really get this in my head sometimes. Like I will visualize a a project from start to finish or a song. I'll have it like Uh in my brain, just like I can see it, you know, I can hear it. And until it is that, like I cannot stop 
you know, or at least I, I can't like show it, you know, it's like showing someone a the halfway right. done Mona Lisa or whatever and be like, no, it's going to be good. Trust me. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just to me, like the whole idea of it and the whole like philosophy behind this thing is, is are the rules behind it. So it's just like, Oh, I can't, I wanted to have a visualizer to like, to just really unify it, like the look of eight millimeter film yeah. with this music that it put together to me, it's just, it's such a no brainer, like just in philosophy and in just aesthetics that it just has to be done. Like I can't just throw it out there half baked. Yeah. It has to be like done the way it makes sense. Yeah. That's awesome. And it's totally something you would do too. And so uh, <laughs> when are you going to, when are you going to design and build your own pinball? Oh geez, that's that is a crazy undertaking. Now yeah. that I own like eight machines, like if you own machines, you have to. The reason I didn't get one for a few years is just like I was intimidated by the complexity of them. Like I knew they break down. Yeah. Like every time I go to an arcade and play them, there's always a machine that was down. Like way more than video games, right? Like you buy a Street Fighter machine, it'll work. It'll just work. You know what I mean? It's it's all digital. The thing just works. But like when you're dealing with a pinball machine, it is a physical contraption. So the ball is heavy. And that's the thing that you take a ball out of machines. Like, damn, this thing's heavy. Like this plastic in this machine <laughs> and these pieces, these metal, this thing's taking a beating. Yeah. So it'll break and you have to, you have to be able to repair it. So getting into the hood of these things and learning them, um, has definitely given me a huge respect for the designers who make these things. It's, it's crazy. It's like building a video game out of physical parts. Right. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of pieces and parts that all have to be working together seamlessly to make the game function. So there, it seems like you kind of have this uh, common theme about you that like wants to do things okay. like kind of um, naturally, physically, like it actually exists. So you want to, you want to record these sounds unprocessed onto a physical film and you want to play a video game that is done on a physical board in front of you. You want to make this reverb that's done naturally, like all this sort of stuff. It, it sound, and then even like your drums, you want to record yeah. live drums. You want to, if there's something about you that is like, I, you want it to be true, like unprocessed. What, what, what do you yeah, think? I think it's, this? yeah, it's a bit, I think it's, I think it's too, I think there's two parts to that. Um, you know, obviously there's, there's a, there's a want for authenticity. Um, but I think a, a bigger part than that is maybe the process itself. Like when, when I talk, when, when you talk about like shooting on film, for example, is, can you do a filter digitally that represents film pretty good? Yeah, it's pretty good. But what you're going to do when you shoot on film is you're going to buy a roll for $50 of eight millimeter film that'll get you maybe three minutes. So you will be very conscious about what you're shooting. You'll be like, Ooh, I don't want to, I don't want to burn any film because this is literally costing me dollars on the minute kind of a thing. Right. Yeah. You can't just like willy nilly shoot digital stuff and say, Oh, I'll just edit it later. No, no, no. You have to be very conscious about, Oh, I got to make sure the lighting's good. Okay. Are, are we going over our parts? Do you know what we're supposed to do? Because once again, once I pull the trigger and I start burning film, it's costing us money. So let's make sure we get this right before we hit the record. So I think, I think a big part of me is drawn to that, the process, um, allowing the process, 
to kind of develop character that 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 shines through at the end, right? It's it's that kind of thing. Yeah, and and, and like we were talking about earlier with the with the different uh, vocalists, right? Because they're kind of like in their own little world, they develop that character. They develop something interesting, and, and I think that relates to the film thing, right? Because you're making all these decisions about your lenses and being hypercritical. And be like, okay, well, we bought five, we bought two rolls, and crap, we have to finish this on these two rolls. So we got now we now we're forced into this box to make these decisions. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, it does make it to where it has to be um, done just a lot, like you said, a lot more focus because, like, with post processing, especially in music, um, you're basically capable of making anything sound like anything nowadays. Like really it's you're, you're you're able to make a bad singer. Good. You're able to make a bad drummer on time. You're a, you're able to do all this stuff like post now. Whereas like if you're doing it analog tape, like you can't necessarily do that. Like it has to be good. Yeah, I do. I do like that. And I think that philosophy does carry over into when we record drums, like, man, you should see my process for doing the loner shore stuff because it is so crazy. We will take it like four bars at a time, eight bars at a time, little piece, little piece, little piece. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just to get it just right. And again, could be fixed in post. Sure. But you're going to get more of an authentic. It's going to sound more like Austin. If he, if he's the one doing it rather than me, the editor is doing it. Right. right? So that is again, preserving that identity and preserving that character. Um, making sure it's just, you know, <laughs> the bands sound like the bands and, and less like me, Definitely, you know, getting myself out of the way of the process in terms of, you know, my sound, for example, the way I wanted to sound good. And I have only have two years and there's so many, there's only a set amount of things that any one human being is going to like, but if I can get as much of the people involved into that process, I think that just makes the records, you know, that much more unique. Right. Definitely. Yeah, and I mean you're you're trying to showcase the artist, you know, and 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 that's awesome, and it just shows that you also care about their art um, as well, and I think that's awesome. And uh, I have a couple quick questions to ask you, kind of some some key kind of yeah. point questions. Um, what's the what's uh-huh. the most interesting project that you've worked on, and why was it interesting? the most interesting project. Yeah. That kind of like mm. that, like whenever you were in that moment, you're like, dang, this is like the peak of like bringing my uh, creative abilities out in the band as well. Like we're really like, this is interesting and, uh, you know, unique to work on in that sense. Like what, which one really felt like you were at like another level? Um, I mean, there's a few for sure. The one that comes to mind, would be either like the first or the second King record that I worked on. Maybe more the second one, because the second one I had more creative writing and stuff involved in it. Yeah. The first one, the first one is I just kind of meeting the band and because we played shows with them back in the day, back in like the late aughts, let's say back, you know, 2008, 2009. Yeah. I think trying to think of when our last show was, yeah, we were playing our last shows just as they were coming up. And so I knew, I knew everybody in the band and stuff like David, but we were doing demos and stuff and they were just like, they were just a heavy band. They were just a stupid heavy band. And then when we got together, they were 
frustrated with with somebody else that they had worked with because they just specialized in one sound, which is like heavy music, and they wanted to work with somebody that could do different sounds, something that's not just do the heavy stuff, yes, but also something that's a little more chill, something yeah. that's like. So then, once yeah, once I started talking to David about that, I'm like, oh man, like they're really trying to do something really interesting here. Like they're trying to do like industrial, they're trying to do like acoustic songs. I mean, they're doing an EP where they get like Freddie Gibbs and trick trick on it i'm like this is crazy like they're all so it no other project um has really flexed (laughs) allowed me to flex the way that the king stuff does because it's it's really everywhere it's really you listen to that la petite mort album it starts off with like one of the heaviest pieces of music you'll ever hear and by the time it's done you've heard orchestral strings you've heard children's choirs you've heard um you know, electronica stuff, it really goes all over the place. It, it was something where we had to get some string players on. I mean, we had like to get a saxophone player for one of the songs. It's just <laughs> everything. Yeah. So it was cool. It was really, it was really a situation. Um, yeah. That, that put me through my paces. And after their first record, we did, we wrote eyes together on the first album and we just clicked really well and then there were some other song ideas that david had that we put together in the first album so after the first album was done it was like we really started to click in together as collaborators so by the time the second album came around i was essentially the the primary music writer on that album so there they had been touring and touring they just didn't have time to write and stuff and some of the other members of the band were were looking to leave and stuff so just like yeah i mean yeah, I, I'm down. I, I love the vision of the band and the variety of stuff. So, yeah, anytime there's a King project, but especially that La Petite one, that was just, it was just all over the place. It, it, that one was, uh, yeah, one of those projects where you feel like you're losing your mind <laughs> in, in some days in a great way and some days in a terrible way. But yeah, yeah, that was, that was one of those albums where I feel like, I, I remember some, it was one of those those things too where like, some people really liked it. Yeah. But it, it, it was weird. It was, I think it was a situation in the timing of when it came out and, and David is, is one of those people I love him, but he, and he'll be the first to say this. He's also the, the, the band's biggest obstacle when it comes, cause he, he will not listen to anybody Yeah, when it comes time to, you know, he's gotten better about it over the years, but especially back then it's just like, no, I'm not going to do this tour. No, we're not going to do this. We're going to do this my way. Yeah. So it's, the music industry being what it is, you have to play ball or else you're just not going to be able to get some of these opportunities that that might be able to help the band. But it was a great record. I remember there was some people at like metal hammer magazine that were just really said some amazing things about it. That really is very touching when you work on something that hard that, you know, for that amount of time and with, you know, you're really trying to do something crazy with it. It's cool that it reaches some people that have really heard a lot of different stuff and like a really cool, genuine review of it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite uh, pieces of media that anyone ever did on anything that I worked on. So that was cool. So that's, that's definitely one of the ones, um, you know, obviously the Lona Shore stuff is, is up there as in terms of just difficulty, density of mixing. Um, and like immortal was the album where like they were supposed to have a, a guy that write would write all their orchestral stuff and, and it just ended up not working out. So, I had to step in and, and write most of the or- orchestral stuff. And I enjoyed it. I, I really liked that stuff. You know, we connected 
you know, Bloodborne being a game that came out not too long yeah. before we worked on, on that album. We were like, oh yeah, this is the, this is the vibe. <laughs> Heck yeah. Well, if you ever needed orchestral work ever again, you hit me up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like it too much. I'm too selfish. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it all myself. Yeah, of course. That, that that sort of stuff is just so fun. Working with different harmonies and layers oh. and like counter melodies, and I just yeah love that stuff. And it's fun working with with Adam because he has such a great grasp on musical theory. Yeah, definitely. And he'll kind of he'll kind of like get the song figured out in terms of what the key is and and, and what the the different transitions and, and key changes and stuff. So it's just like, okay, I have all this information. If I have any question, I can just ask them right away. Is, you know, I, yeah, I, I can know what's up. But. I think in the, in the heavy music realm, they are the most talented um, musicians individually. And it just comes together. Oh it's yeah. Crazy. Insane. It's, it's insane. You know, the, you know, the, yeah. The Adam's guitar, the, you know, and Andrew as well. He's an insane guitar. And Mulk, <laughs> the bassist. <laughs> yeah. That dude is such a good drummer too. Like the really? thing that most people don't realize that he's insane. Like if if Austin wasn't able to play a show, maybe they could work something out. But yeah, he's he's amazing. That's he's awesome. Amazing uh, bassist, amazing drummer. I'm sure. Yeah, he rips on guitar too. But yeah, they're all insane. Yeah, Adam's such a crazy guitarist. Like dude's insane in the best way possible <laughs> and uh <laughs> and and again that was one of the things like of course Lauren Shore sat, if you knew adam if you sat down you should have him on this podcast talk to him yeah if you sit, sit down and talk with a dude for a few hours you're like oh yeah i know exactly what this band sounds the way they do <laughs> because he's insane <laughs> yeah we, and they just have to sound that way we toured with them uh back when they still had tom as the vocalist it was um oh right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. they they were opening it was us uh, and rings of saturn and um yeah it, oh, it, wow. it's just so nice to see see them doing everything they are because they're super nice dudes and like just so much talent it's a crazy oh yeah and yeah what you said about the king record uh yeah, some people uh some people really hated it but a lot of people really liked it i feel like that's the realm that you want to be in um as far as like the reception yep, of your record <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was, it, it kind of, yeah, a lot of people hated it and they got so mad about it. I'm like, well, that's great. I mean, apathy is the worst thing you could possibly have as an artist, right? Like, right. Here's, here's my, here's my painting. And everyone's just like, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, I don't, I don't love it. Don't hate it. It's just like, oh, please. You know what I mean? Like, at least hate it. <laughs> right. Make, make you feel some way about it. <laughs> yeah. It was that way with the, like the Lorna Shore mix too, like the EP. Oh, yeah. I remember being, I remember being just like, I was so frustrated because I wanted to do something different. I was just having a hard time getting to somewhere that I wanted with the EP because I didn't want to do what I did in Immortal. I don't. Anytime I work with a band on multiple successive you know records, it's just like the last thing I want to do is just use the same, do the same shit record to record to record. That's just it's number one. It's not fun. Number two, I think it's just stagnant. You know, for a band to just keep doing the same things. Um. So yeah, with the um the EP, I'm like. <laughs> there's not a lot of room because the music is so dense. What do you do to really like change it up and, and make it sound different? I just like was beating my head against the wall for a, for a while um, until I just, <laughs> yeah, just, just went nuts with it. But yeah. 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 It's, and a lot of people hated it. A lot of people hated the mix. It was the worst mix ever. I'm like, I must be doing something right. Cause I don't think it's that bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's the, the internet is just, man, 
it, it's rough for stuff like that. But at some point, like yeah, made them, uh, yeah the songs were just tough. good. Yeah, some people I work with, they, they, they take it really personally, right? Like some people, it's it's hard not to take that criticism personally and really just get upset about it. But like, I've been around the internet for a long time. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got an idea. Once you realize that most of the internet and most of the complaining and most of the all this stuff is essentially people screaming into the void when they should be talking to a therapist. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Once you understand that, then you realize it's, it really has nothing to do with you. Right. It has to do with people managing their expectations, people, you know, projecting that kind of a thing. Rarely, <laughs> rarely does it actually have anything to do with what's going on. Exactly. Yeah, you're you're dead right on that. And with all the different kinds of stuff that um you've done, like what is your favorite, I guess, uh genre or subgenre of this realm to record? Or are you just kind of like down with all of it? Um I'm always interested in the genres that I haven't done much with. Yeah. So Deathcore is cool, and I'm doing a bunch of Deathcore stuff with a bunch of Deathcore bands. I do like it. I do enjoy it. I haven't done a ton of it yet, but I imagine that in another year or so, I'll be like, cool. I had my fill. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it's, and it's one of those things that what do you do? What do you do when, when a band approaches you and says, oh, we love Lower Shore Record, do ours? I'm like, okay. So how do you want to sound different? Because I'm not interested in just doing you know exactly off-brand yeah. version of this thing and it's not good for the band it's not good for you it's not good for me it's not good for anybody this is a type one pleasure trying to just chase what what they're doing what a popular band is doing you need to think more about the type two thing which is you know thinking about the long term of it how do you cultivate your own identity take some risks take some smart risks and uh yeah so the, yeah in terms of what i like to work i like to work with all kinds of stuff really i mean i i'm doing uh a blues jazz band in the fall that I'm really excited about because it's different, right? Like it's a totally different approach. It's something where like, I don't have to, I'm not going to produce the band. I am essentially being an engineer and I like that. And it's, it's fun to engineer something that tonality wise is like a whole world apart from anything heavy. Yeah. So, but at the same time, there, there are lessons that you'll learn in the heavy music world that you can bring over to the jazz blues world. Right. There are certain ways of, of working with a drum kit that maybe you learned a cool little trick on this hardcore band. Oh, that was kind of cool. Maybe if I do this, but that'll way back, that will work over here. So yeah, anytime I'm working with a lot of different genres, uh, David's got his rap side project. I'm always interested in working on that just because it's, you know, rap beats and vocals are just a very different thing than, than the other stuff. Um, I worked with Butcher Babies recently. We did an album. I was actually just doing the last little bit of tweaks on that today. Um, and that's cool. And they're they're really fun to work with because they're they really they're the same way. They like all kinds of different heavy music, not just one kind of thing. So we went kind of buck wild on the new one. So hopefully a few of those songs stick and, and does something really good for them. Um, yeah, hardcore bands. I do really like working with like hardcore bands, like just basic four on the floor. Yeah, one maybe two guitars, bass, drums, one vocal channel. Something about that I really like a lot. Let's say like the first Burials record to me is a prime example of something like that, where it's it's just cooking with the most basic ingredients, right? Like not getting so caught up in like some kind of sauce that you're mixing in. 
you know, 30 different ingredients to make, but something very, very simple. And yeah, I do enjoy that a lot. It lets each instrument really breathe. Yeah. And, and that's, that's an interesting thought too, because it's like, um, you're more so just going for this raw energy and really just shining of like, just like power rather than trying to figure out a way to make it cool. It's like, no, this is just powerful because it just is. And just, you know, like you said, yeah. it's, it's like a, whenever you're cooking a steak, like you, you mainly just want to kind of tiny bit of pepper, maybe a little bit of salt, but let everything just kind of be doing its thing and, you know, just keep it simple. Yeah. Yeah. Make sure that the, it make, make exactly make sure the ingredients are good on their own, like that you're getting a good fresh steak. Definitely. <laughs> Rather than some stale, something that's been sitting out for a while. <laughs> yeah. Definitely. Again, it, it's at the source, right? It's it's the same thing. It's at the source. It's the same thing with with shooting on the film, recording yep. the tape, You're doing right. the live drums. It is it's at that source, starting with that. Then then you don't have to be you can be a, a sauce expert and you can be a, a seasoning expert but you're you're going to be more minimal you have to do less work so that the actual dish can shine yeah. rather than the editing rather than the, yeah, right. the covering up of things yeah and also yeah, like but, editing like that it it's a nightmare like i've i've like i said not many bands come to me but some that have like i'll i'll get their stems and i'm like i'm sorry but i can't oh. do this i can't do it <laughs> yeah i've had a few situations like that this year that just it's just not fun yeah you know what i mean especially especially if it's like a record label situation and they think they have somebody that's just like, nah, this, we need to get somebody else to do this. This is just, <laughs> it's just not good. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. there's, I can do a certain amount, but like when there's so much noise in the guitar or something, it's just, I can't, this just sounds like crap. Like you, you come to me because you heard some record I did, but I engineered that from the ground up right. for that sound. It wasn't just like, Oh, willy nilly. And let's try to fix it in post. But yep. No, it's, it's, it's one of those things and I've, I've, I've had a bit of a realization this year because I always downplay the engineering side of things, maybe because I learned it so long ago and I feel like it's one of those necessary evils. Like I always joke, I'll joke about it on Facebook every once in a while. I'm like, I hate recording. I like making music. I just hate recording. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> At the same time, I think that's not entirely true. I do, I do enjoy some of the engineering, I guess more than I realized, because again, I'll get stems. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is like, <laughs> what do I do? Like, yep. like I, I, I agreed to mix this thing. I didn't agree to like completely retool your, you, you know, your instrumental. So <laughs> yeah, finding a place to draw that line and being clear with people up front, or they'll send me like MIDI for like an orchestration thing. And I'm just like, okay, well the, the VSTs they use are obviously bad. I can put that through my VSTs, but it's written bad. Yep. You know what I mean? It's, it's not written for the instrument. If you're like, it's like a synth, right? Like if you take a MIDI line, you run it through a different synth. No, it's, you, you have to tailor it to the synth that you're working exactly. with, right? Yeah. Like the, the, the velocities, the, the modulation, all that kind of stuff. If you change that and you go to a different MIDI instrument, all well, you have to essentially rewrite the thing, right? You kind of have to like rethink the yep. material you're writing. So when I write like orchestration for Lorna Shore, obviously I'm using the VSTs that I'm using. So I'm trying to write to their strengths as well. Like yep. if, if this violin sounds corny with these really fast key changes, maybe I'll write something a little simpler yep. or maybe I'll do something that's like pizzicato and not, and not like the, like the legato works at like a slower tempo. But if I speed it up, then maybe I need to do something. You just try and play it to its best strengths. If I had a live orchestra and Hopefully, maybe we'll maybe we'll have the budget on the next record to get sweet. like some actual live string players. But if you don't, 
Yeah, you have to kind of play to its strengths. So, like, again, yeah, you get some MIDI files from somebody <laughs> that's like, oh, yeah, we want some orchestration. And then I, I run it through, like, some nice VSTs. Like, this still sounds like ass because it's like you're not writing for, like, what string players would actually play. You're just writing for what you play on guitar. You're just tracing it. Yep. And now it's not it's not working. It's falling apart because it's you're not you're not taking into consideration the medium that you're using. Right. So you you just need some some good meat to be able to to be able to make a good there you meal. go <laughs> you're right exactly, exactly. Um, and so uh kind of like a culmination of and I, I always respect your opinion like even whenever i was mixing this browning record i i sent you a message to kind of get your opinion on a couple not not necessarily on the mix but just on kind of the concept of things like this and so you're someone i really respect yeah. um your thoughts on this kind of stuff uh and always have and so in for you what and what makes a good mix hmm um something that essentially is true to what the music is doing where you almost don't even have to think about it right like you hear it and you know it sounds good and if you think about it, it sounds good but um so I guess really the way that is good music, <laughs> yeah. a really good music, really good performances to me make so much of a difference. Um, it makes my job so much easier. So that's something that I really realized I need to focus on is like making sure that the people I'm working with are giving good performances, like, and, and making sure that it just sounds right. You, you remember how much time we spent with like vocals, like just like yeah. splicing little pieces and stuff and, and you know what I mean? Like getting it just right. It had nothing to do with VSTs. It had everything to do with making sure that the sound was good when we were working on it. Yep. Yeah. And so, okay. but yeah, good mix. Yeah, just just true, just kind of true to the music that it, that it is. That it's it doesn't feel out of step with itself, right? Yeah. Like you'll hear like a good pop song or something, or and it's like, man, this sounds like a hardcore mix or something. <laughs> like this is supposed to be like this is like a lot of dispute, but this mix sounds like you know knock loose like this doesn't make sense right you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like a mix that makes perfect sense like um for me like uh, rage against the machines debut album will always stand to me the test of time as being like one of the best mixes of all time in terms of the mix perfectly suits the material the performances everything is heard that needs to be heard it's full it's rich it's raw it's exactly right for what it is um another example actually i just came across this recently because uh, most of my stuff is old, like Steely Dan's Asia from like the seventies. But I just came across this band called Dirty Loops recently. I'm not sure if you've heard of them, uh-uh. but they they worked with like Quincy Jones. Essentially, like imagine if Michael Jackson's band was still kicking, and they're like, you know what? One of us can say like Michael Jackson. Let's let's try to keep this thing going. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what they sound like, and they're amazing, amazing musicians. Everybody in that band, I was just like. I was working with the ongoing concept recently. That's another band I'm super excited about because that's another band that's way outside my wheelhouse. Ongoing concept is kind of like, I don't know, what, what, what did someone describe them as? Like James Brown meets like uh, Bring Me the Horizon or something. <laughs> I don't know. Just like they're they're like funk, rock, metal. Dang. I guess I would, you know, Don Broco, you know that band? Yeah. That's so familiar. So they're kind of like that, a little bit more on the funk side of things. Yeah, they're really cool. Anyhow, they they introduced me. Dawson introduced me to um, Dirty Loops, and I've just been obsessed with them. They're just um, such immaculate mixing. But again, that comes from such good performances. Like when you're so good as a drummer, I remember people used to say this about John Bonham that he would just mix himself. You don't have to do anything. Don't worry about 
mixing this part, I'll make sure that this fill is loud because the vocals aren't here, so I'm going to play louder. Oh, yeah. this part is this. I'm going to make sure this beat is exactly the way it is. I'll just mix myself. Dang. So when, you, when you're dealing with musicians like Dirty Loops on the caliber that they're at, they are going to mix themselves. The drummer is going to be explosive when he needs to be explosive, tighten in the pocket in the back when he needs to be, oh, a little cymbal hit here, a little cymbal hit there, big cymbal hit here on the chorus. Right. It mixes itself, right? So when you're that damn good, yeah, that's when a mix to me is like, and again, it's not, it doesn't make it easy. You still have to be really good as an engineer and as a producer, but you have to be in, uh, you have to be locked in, in phase, not out of phase with what's going on around you. Um, understanding the performance of it and not, you know what I mean? Not just like, oh, I, 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 I saw a nail the mix that you use pro MB. No, you can't, <laughs> you have to throw that away. It's in your toolbox, but you have to, you have to be listening to the music not just the channel that you're working on and, and, Oh, this gets rid of that. And, and it's one of those things I have to keep myself in check on that all the time too. They're like, okay, listen to the whole thing. What does the whole thing sound like? Nobody listens to individual stems. Everyone's just hearing a stereo file, maybe even just a mono file coming out of their, <laughs> their phone or their car. So it has to be cohesive. It has to, it has to serve the purpose of the song. Well, I think that you're exactly right. <laughs> again you're just you're, <laughs> oh, wow. yeah i mean i just i think that you think about this stuff in a way that a lot of people might not um and again that just goes to show like how much you really care because um you know some producers you would ask like what makes a good mix and they're just like well i want it to be heavy you know or you know i want it to be you know crisp it's like yeah. well maybe it shouldn't be heavy or crisp maybe it should be something different you know like it's so it just right. it shows like right. it shows how much you care and how you're thinking about it in my opinion to like another level that um that really just shows and i just i love hearing anything that you ever do because i know for a fact that there was a lot of effort and a lot of care put into it so i appreciate that it's oh, nice thank to see you. you oh thank you yeah <laughs> and uh you're yeah. such a sweetheart. <laughs> no, I'm, you can ask my wife. I'm not <laughs> just kidding. But yeah, I mean, I I need to get up to Michigan because I need to play some pinball with you. And my wife loves pinball. Yes, That's all she cares about uh, as far as oh, like really? video game realms go. Really? Yeah. What what are what are her um what are some what are some of the games that she likes? Well, she loves she loves Alien. So Mars Attacks is like the one. Nice, you know. Nice. That's a classic. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, but she does love the old school ones. The modern ones are so fast; like it, it just feels like a little oh, too. Gosh. I don't know. Like I tried playing the Game of Thrones one, uh, uh, pinball, and did yeah. I? I couldn't even keep up like yeah. at all. It was way too fast. Like oh, just how fast that ball was moving. So so okay. So here's the thing. Here's the, here's the thing about the newer ones and the older ones. When I first started getting into pinball, like. It was a, it was like a, you pay by the hour yeah. and that was the only way oh, you was going to convince. Cause I like, it's, I would lose so fast. I'm like, fuck this. I don't want to play pinball. This is too hard. <laughs> so I really liked older games. I found myself being, cause they were slower, more forgiving. Yeah. And as I've played more and more and more, I understand why the new games are set up the way they are. They are, the new games are essentially catered to like the hardcore pinball players. Oh, okay. That's like the only, that's like the only audience that's like buying games. These are people that have been playing pinball for like 20, 30 years. True. That's who these new games are catered to. Like they're not really catered to like newbies at all. It's it's kind of like Dark Souls, right? Like True. I don't care if you're new to this game, you're gonna get beaten into submission until you get finally good at it. <laughs> and I think it's that that same part of my brain that is like attracted to things like 
like yeah like elden ring dark souls games yes. and things like that it is attracted to how do i get these drums to sound good it's the hardest instrument let me do it same thing with pinball like it just i don't know why i never gave it much time a day but then i, I played it like oh my gosh there's so much more to this than i realized it's just the whole thing just opened up in front of me and i, I felt like that was discovering video games for the first time again yeah and i it's wild i love stuff like that that on the surface is super basic but when you dive in it's super deep yeah like, for me i've uh i i've have the past two years or two and a half years gotten very deep into bowling like competitive bowling um oh dude and yeah it's the simplest a lot game. Of similarities there right like you, a lot of similarities it really is bowling and, and pool and yep. pinball yeah yeah you you throw a ball and you're knocking down pins right that's that's what it is but really there's so much uh finesse and so many details of like the type of ball you use with the type of oil that's on the lane with the you know how hard you throw how many revolutions you know how much you loft the ball rather than get it directly onto the lane like there's so many details and same with pinball like i yeah dude it's sick yeah the drummer from uh well king's drummer he was he was talking to me about because he's super into bowling he was like talking to me about like the different bowlers and like the different types of oil there's apparently different types of oil patterns that you put on on the lanes right like there's, yep. there's different. He was naming the different names of different animals or something. Yeah, like, shark, you badger, all yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And like, there's is is it in the U.S. tournaments where it's just like flat oil across the whole thing? Yeah, they. So basically, with um, normal oil, they call it house oil. It's it's made to kind of allow you to strike more. But so whenever you get good, like at these higher level tournaments, yeah. the scores are too high, so they put down oil that actually makes it a lot more difficult. And so, yeah, like the U.S. That's Open, it, it's known for being like the like the pros are scoring like one thirties, where normally on house oil they'd be shooting two sixty every time. So, oh yeah, because it's boring, right? It's yeah. boring just to see people doing strike, 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 strike. Exactly. It's, dude, it's just like pinball. Like if you watch a pinball tournament, and they have usually a few, they have a bunch of them. Like lately, there's been a ton. Now with like you know restrictions and lockdowns being lifted, yeah. there's finally more tournaments going on. So what they end up doing is. So the way a pinball tournament is, it's kind of like um, like a, a classic elimination style, but you have like four people per machine. Like you can play four, and pretty much any pinball machine that's newer than like 1980, you can play like four players on. So they do like four players on one machine, you know, person with the highest score kind of moves on. Or they have like strikes. They have these different rules depending on the type of tournament. But what you're saying with the oil reminds me, like they'll do things to the machine to make it more difficult. They'll get rid of um, rubbers over like outlane posts. Oh, just really? so the ball drains easier. They'll put lightning flippers on some machines if the type of flippers that they are maybe a little bit too close together. They'll put like ones that are a little bit further apart. Wow. <laughs> they'll do all. They'll put like on older machines. They'll put like two by fours under the back legs to make it a little more steep. <laughs> yeah, and you watch these people, dude, and they're insane. Some of these people that are like, yeah, I watched the guy play on it's Batman sixty six. I think it came out in like twenty seventeen. It's a fairly new machine. He played for like four or five hours and put up like, I don't know, like 68, like Jesus. 6 trillion points or something. <laughs> and, and that's what happens. That's what happens when you, when you, when you get these tournament players to play on normal machines that are set up to be like, you know, normal kind of friendly arcade. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's wild. That's awesome. And that just, I love stuff like that, that it's so basic on the surface, but so deep, like whenever you get behind it, um, it's sort of the same thing with, with a lot of like mixing stuff, like, 
or like even oh, with, yeah. with like the browning too there's on the surface it's breakdowns with synths but really there's like 70 layers <laughs> you know <laughs> right right exactly exactly and so i, I absolutely true. love that stuff um and yeah so i we got to get up there and we got to play some pinball all day so i'm i'm very yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah well i mean <laughs> i i absolutely think you're one of the coolest people i've ever met in my life and so i really appreciate you being here uh, talking to me. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you having me. Heck yeah! Well, I, was, I just saw that you your 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 podcast was doing doing really well, and it's like uh, you should kind of showed up on my radar. I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Johnny's podcast is like popping off. That's, yeah, that's cool. I'm, really freaking, pr- I'm really proud of you. We hit number. How long have you been doing this for? Uh, I I've had a couple goes at it, um, but this one I've been sticking to it. Um, just because it's I've been traveling full time, and so this is something I can do on the road. Um. And so right, I've, right, right. I've been going like uh, six months full time, um, and it's we just hit number eight on the Spotify charts. <laughs> so like we're above. That's sick, dude. That's insane. so sick. It it's crazy, and it, it just goes to show that metal really is bigger than what people want to give it credit for. Like it, it's really oh, absolutely such a niche market that has really dedicated people. Like we we're sitting above some of these the people that have like Lil Wayne coming on their podcast, you know, like that's crazy. Crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. And so that's cool. Yeah. I appreciate people being here and people wouldn't be listening if I wasn't talking to interesting people like you. So I'm, you know, I really appreciate it. Oh, Hey, you're a great host. (laughs) Hey, you're a great host. We try our best. And so I really, Josh, (laughs) you really are one of my favorite people on the planet and so hospitable and just friendly. So thank you for being you. I appreciate you, man. Thank you, buddy. Right back at you. Heck yeah. All right. Talk to you here soon, man. All right. We'll see you. Bye. Thank you for listening through that episode and making it all the way to the end. And before you move on to the next episode, I would like to ask you again to please leave a five-star review that helps push us to the algorithm. And we are one of the fastest growing metal podcasts in the world. And so that helps it grow even more and to reach more people. And so again, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in the next one. Peace out.